Good morning, Orangewood. Good morning. Good to see you and a great time of worship this morning. A little bit shorter because of the installation service. Isn't it interesting what we call, what we do with our ministers? We install them like a refrigerator. But uh, what a wonderful time it will be. And uh, I appreciate how, how we worship together. I always enjoy worshiping with you here at Orangewood. So uh, it's good to be back with you after a couple of weeks on the road. We're going to be talking today in our series about Honest to God from Psalm 19. And before we talk about him, let's talk to him. Let's pray together. Our great God, we do come into your presence today, and we are so thankful that we can come together as a family around who you are, around you. And we agree 100% with King David that the heavens do declare your glory, that the skies above, the firmament above, declare who you are and all of your wonder and majesty and might, that you are truly beautiful, that you are the greatest artist of all. Lord, we thank you for what you have given us to remind us of your creative, your designing ability. And Lord, we thank you for the, the natural world, the physical world, but also we thank you for your law, your truth, that you have revealed yourself to us in a powerful way. We thank you for your word and, and how it speaks to us perfectly. And as we look in this psalm today, we pray that you would speak to us. Lord, you know us. And you know, as we come into the presence of the God who is and who was and is to come, the Almighty, as we come into your presence today, you know our hearts. You know those who are fearful and hurt and those who are broken. Lord, you know each one of us. You know us better than we know ourselves. Father, we thank you that we can pray for those that we care about. And we pray for the Hatchers today as uh, they experience the loss of Steve. And we thank you for him. We thank you for his life, and we pray for the rest of the family that you'd encourage them. But we need your encouragement, too. You know our sadness and our anger and our fear and our shame. And right now, we bring all of that to you, and we lay it out in front of you. And we ask that you would bring your glory and your grace and your majesty to us as we look into your word. And so we do pray for the one who teaches that you'd forgive him his sins. And use one who is finite to communicate your infinite truth, for now our focus is upon you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our text is Psalm 19. And uh, we're going to be looking at this. And in this psalm, as we said in this series, Honest to God, God is honest with us about who he is. He speaks to us, uh, revealing himself. God is the self revealing God. I love that. And we're going to look at this psalm together. I'm going to read it, and then we'll be able to thank him together for his holy word. Psalm 19. This is God's holy word. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor there are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them, he has set a tent for the sun, 
which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there's nothing hidden from its heat. Then he shifts gears. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgressions. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is God's holy word. Thanks be to God. What a great text this is. I love it. Many of you know it. Honestly, this is one of the most favorite Psalms in the Bible. It doesn't beat Psalm 23 for its popularity, but it's, it's way up there. Uh, and I love what it has to say about how God reveals himself to us. I was driving the other day, and I'm not sure if I was, it was a Sunday morning coming to Orangewood, or it was someday during the week driving down to Key Life Network, I was, but I was going someplace to speak, either here or Key Life on the radio. I don't know where it was. And I saw this truck with a, radio, with a, with a bumper sticker on it, and the bumper sticker said, shut up, stupid. That's all it said, shut up, stupid. And I, I looked at that, and I said, well, I'm going to talk, and somebody just told me, you know, shut up, stupid. That's all it said, and it got my attention. I thought about it, and I started laughing. I know, I know. Do you feel that way ever? I, I, feel, I feel this way a lot. I know I confess that. that Sunday morning, confessing. I, I was thinking there is so much dumb communication out there, so much that is insipid and angering and frustrating and bland and silly and... Stupid parents, forgive me for saying that word here, but there it is. I can confess it. Uh, forgive me, but that's what it is. I, there is so much out there. On the first day of school, uh, our daughter, Jessie the Warrior Princess, was, um, uh, was as a teacher at Winter Springs High School. On the first day of school, a girl said, uh, Coach Alwinson, can I go outside? And the class had just begun, and she said, can I ask you why you want to go outside? And she said, do you want me to tell you the truth, or do you want me to lie? Oh, lie to me, please. Tell me a lie. I'd like to hear that. Good night. Uh, my friend, Dr. Tim Lloyd, said this. If, if you're a big idea person, being around people with little ideas is frustrating. It's true. And so that's why I want to say this more often than I do. I don't say it because I'm spiritual and in control. Now, in contrast to this world in which we live when it comes to speech, God, when he speaks, is always powerful and transforming and relevant and, and wonderful in what he has to say. I don't know why God uh, is often called the hidden God. 
or the silent God. I think God speaks very loudly. And his and that's what this psalm is all about. We're going to look at it in three parts. Our father, the artist. Our father, the author. Our father, the perfecter. Because in this psalm, God speaks loudly to us. Uh, and, and it's so powerful. Let's take a look, first of all, at our father, the artist, verses one through six. I love these verses. I love this. And many of you have this memorized. Uh, Tim Keller, in his book on the psalms, the songs of Jesus, says this. Why do mountains and oceans, the sun and the stars move us as deeply as great art? The answer is because they are great art. All of creation is great art because God is the greatest artist. He communicates, he reveals himself to us in all that has been made. And that's why it starts out, the heavens declare the glory of God. The word glory is the Hebrew word kabod. And the word uh, God here, the name for God here is El, from which we get the plural usually used in scripture, Elohim, which is the name for God transcendent, the high and holy lifted up God of the universe. And God wants us to see the creation and remember that he is the creator, uh, the transcendent creator. And day to day, it says, it pours forth speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech. There are no words where their voice is not heard. But, so it's, it's interesting, he says, but nevertheless, the voice of God goes out. It's quiet. It's nonverbal communication. Creation is. Nature is but it speaks loudly of who God is. Creation is the nonverbal. I was a communications major in college and we studied nonverbal communication and it's absolutely amazing how you can say a whole lot without uttering a word, right? And God says volumes here as we look at his creation, as he reveals himself. Some mornings when I get out for a run early before the sun comes up and I'm coming back and, 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 and the sun is beginning to crest on the horizon and I turn around and I see the sun coming up. I see the, the beauty of the artwork. If nobody's around and I have to look sometimes, I'll say, Father, you did it again. You're the greatest artist there is. You speak volumes. And that from somebody who almost flunked eighth grade art. <laughs> I, I, I almost did, and I still feel some shame about that. A lot of shame from that. Who flunks art? <laughs> but I know good art when I see it. And, and, and when I see creation, when I see what has been made, I see the beauty of it. Great art. What great art does for us is it lifts us out of our pedantic everyday world. It lifts us into higher heights. It lifts us literally into the presence of God. I know good art when I see it, but I also know bad art when I see it. And so do you, right? You know bad art when you see it. And some uh, modern art that is tortured uh, and, and fractured and uh, it reveals the chaos of the artist, the inner disorder, the inner hopelessness of so much of the modern art that we see. I feel for them. They're tortured. But we know good art, and here is beautiful art in creation. A friend of mine uh, who moved out of town, used to be an Orangewood member, moved out of town, uh, was in uh, the Alps and uh, sent me some pictures uh, of Switzerland. I think he did it on purpose to make me feel jealous. Thank you. 
but it was stunning pictures of the Alps. And where I was, I don't know when I first saw them, but it lifted me into the presence of God. Last week, I was speaking up in Maine, uh, halfway up uh, uh, the Maine, uh, the state of Maine, right on the Canadian border. Uh, beautiful, crystal clear lake. Hills in the background. 73 degrees. No humidity. No phone connection either. <laughs> There's nobody there except 120 guys from this church. I was suffering for Jesus up there. <laughs> and I met Jesus up there as the creation drew me in to the God who reveals himself. That's why it says in Romans 1, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. This, this is incredible what God has done as he reveals his eternal power to us. And yet the amazing thing is his, function, his art is not merely art to put on a wall, non-functional art. The artistic hand of God in creation is very, very functional art. It's very relevant art to us. And that's why he goes on in verse 4b and following. He says, in them, in the heavens, he has sent a tent for the sun. I like that imagery, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and a strong man runs its course with joy. Two, two images. He talks about the sun and how the sun comes out in the morning and begins to pan across the sky. It's, it's like a guy who's going to pick up his bride at the wedding feast. He is beaming. He's excited. He is pumped up. I'm going to be married today. Or like a strong man runs its course with joy. He emphasizes the sun in the creation. It says its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The sun then becomes a metaphor in, in David's writing here for, for the pervasive power of God in creation in which the son of God, the, the, the son reveals his, his, his power and his rule over the universe. We in central Florida understand the penetrating power of the sun. Today, I didn't feel that as bad, did you? I mean, it's like the fall. Practically winter here today. But two weeks ago, or a couple of days ago, you go outside, I don't care what you have on, and the sun gets right through it, penetrates. Right to the core of your being. And David is saying, this sun reveals to us the omnipotence of God, his control. You and I may look at the world around us and we may say it's chaotic, it's broken, it's beyond repair. There's nothing, I don't even know what's going on in my life. And God says, wait, 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 I'm here. I'm in charge. And the sun is the image that conveys his absolute power as it penetrates all things. So we understand that. Uh, but um, I like what... Craig Grant put in his weekly broad, uh, blog this past week, Wake Up Wednesday. It was so good. He talked about the glory of God, and he reminds us that the glory of God is his great worth and fame and honor and prestige. And because God speaks so loudly to us in creation, there's a couple of applications and challenges here. One of the challenges that we got to get our heads out of our technology. 
We got to get our heads out of our technology and looking down. I, I, you know, there's sometimes when I'm around people at, at, at the airport or wherever I am, and we're like this. It's, I like going out to dinner, watching people or a meal. Well, go, go out to, next time you go out to eat today, we get you out of here in time to beat the Baptists to lunch. <laughs> I want you to know. So, but look at people at the table. They're, they're like, we got to get our eyes out of our technology, our phones, our movies, our, our TVs, and we got to get out there. We got to see it. We got to drink it in. And we got to let it speak to us of who God is and all of his wonder and glory. We need to use creation because he gave us creation. We ought to care for creation, but it reminds us to listen to it as it speaks to us of God's grandeur. Now, nonverbal communication is great, uh, but nonverbal communication is never enough, right? Have you, ever had some, have you ever had somebody look at you and say, what's wrong? And you go, I don't know. I was just standing here. Not, no, and they go, what's wrong? Really? Tell me what's wrong. I have no idea. I'm, I'm fine. And, you know, because nonverbal communication can send a lot of things. Like, I don't even know what I'm thinking. Or, or nothing at all. Or I'm angry. Or I'm happy. It can be easily misunderstood. And so, God takes it the next step. Because he doesn't want us to live with false understandings of who he is. He wants us to understand him in all of his completeness. So I want you to note, not only our father, the artist, communicator, but notice our father, the author, verses 7 through 11, which starts out this way. The law of the Lord is what? The law of the Lord is, let's say it together, perfect, reviving the soul. Now, it's interesting that in that first section of this psalm, it starts out... uh, talking about God and using the Hebrew word El, Elohim. God is the supreme, transcendent, almost distant God of the universe. Here it starts out using the word Yahweh, which is the covenant name for God, that God wants us to see him by the grace God of the universe. It is instructive here. He starts out, the law of the Lord, the law of Yahweh is perfect, reviving the soul. His personal communication with people is absolutely... When you think of a lawgiver, don't you think of somebody harsh? The opposite. Absolute opposite here. This is the grace God of the universe now talking about his law and getting, getting from nonverbal communication to verbal communication, and it's all written down for us. Now, we're going to do a little grammar. Are you ready? I know it's Sunday morning, but we're going to do a little grammar. We're going to look at the nouns, the adjectives, and the verbs. You ready? Okay, here we go. Uh, Because as you look at this, it's absolutely powerful. Let's look at the nouns. He talks about the law of God. And then he says, the next one is testimony. And the next one is precepts. And the next one is commandment. And then fear and rules. The first word law is the word Torah. Holy Torah. Which is the comprehensive term used in the Old Testament for God's revealed will. The law, the Torah of God. And then it talks about the testimony, the truth. The law of God is his truth that is testified by himself. And he needs no other testimony. And then the precepts and commandments are specific and focus on the idea of the authority of God. I love that. The Bible is our authority that our grace God gives us. And then rules and ordinances. If you have an authority problem, that will just, that will just twist you into knots. The rules of the Lord. 
It will drive you crazy. And yet the rules of the Lord and the ordinances are for our good. I'm not sure that driving 25 miles an hour into my housing development is absolutely necessary. That's a man-made law. Thankfully, it's not in the Bible. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it's probably for my good. But God's rules and ordinances are always good. Always. So, so those are the nouns. The law, the testimony, the precepts, the commands, the fear, uh, 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 the rules of God focus on what he has given to us. And listen, if you think that's a lot of synonyms for the law of God, what is the other psalm that has even more synonyms there? Psalm 119. You read Psalm 119, you go, good night. I had no idea there were that many synonyms for the law of God. Read that today. It'll take you about three hours. Uh, but it's powerful. Look at the verbs. The law of the Lord is the first one. Look, look at the, uh, excuse me, the adjectives are what we want to look at. The law of the Lord is perfect. Perfect. Shades of Romans 12, 1 and 2. The will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Perfect. The testimony of the Lord is sure, which means it's confirmed. It stands on good ground. It's been, it's been borne out by experience. Uh, the, the precepts of the Lord are right. They're morally right. The commandment of the Lord is pure. It's clean. It, the rules of the Lord are true. There's dependability. I like that. Now, let's look at the verbs. The law of the Lord is perfect. What does it do? What does it do to the soul? It, it revives. See, what comes from the soul, what happens in the soul is identity. And so the reality is, is it's the law of God, the word of God, that, that has the ability to revive dead people from the inside out and tell us who we really are. Uh, it revives the soul. I can't tell you the number of times I wake up in the morning or I, at the end of the day and I, I'm just dead and so I'm not alive. And I start reading the word of God and I come alive again. It's amazing. Your experience too? Powerful, powerful. It revives the soul. It makes wise the simple. Notice that the law of God is powerful because God is powerful. His words have power in our lives as we read them because he is powerful. So it revives the soul. It makes wise the simple. It rejoices the heart, verse 8. It's the source of joy. God's laws are the source of joy? Yep. Uh, it enlightens the eyes. It gives skill for living. It, the, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Uh, the rules of the Lord are true, righteous. And then it says, more to be desired are they than gold than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Keeping them, there's great reward. God is the great communicator. And so he wants us to know that his law, as he speaks verbally, is powerful for us and touches every area of our life. But, but it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there because as we think of the word of God, all of a sudden, when we come to the New Testament and we read the Gospels, what do we find? We find John chapter 1, don't we? And all of a sudden, we are drawn into this idea of the word of God in a way we hadn't anticipated. Because John starts out and it says, 
in the beginning was the Word. Logos in the Greek. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing has come into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. All of a sudden, the word is now called the life. Huh. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. So the word now is called the life, and then from the life, it's called the light. Amazing. And then, and then John stops and talks about John the Baptist. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light, the true light. I love this. The true light. We don't even know who he's talking about yet. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not recognize him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have beheld his glory. Kabod. We beheld his glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Powerful. John testified about him, cried out saying, this was he of whom, when John the Baptist first saw Jesus, he cried out, he said, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me, for of his fullness we have all received in grace upon grace, for the law, for the law was given through Moses. The grace and truth was realized through Jesus Christ. And so God, the great revealing God of the universe, speaks to us nonverbally through creation, but then he knows that he could be so easily misunderstood that he has to communicate to us in verbal form. But even more than that, he goes beyond that. I'm going to go beyond verbal form through my prophets. I'm going to go into personal form in my son who will come in the flesh and speak to us full of grace and truth. The law of God, the word of God is grace and truth and everything we need for our lives. And his name is Jesus. I, I like what film uh, maker uh, Martin Scorsese says. He says, not only have I broken all the rules, I learned about, uh, I have broken rules I didn't even know that existed. <laughs> and I like that. Now he's thinking about how a creative film director he is. But that's a perfect description of sin, isn't it? Can we talk? You're a wonderful congregation, but you're sinners. Saved by grace. You've broken every, you've broken a lot of rules, so have I. I try to confess them here. I've even broken rules I didn't know I broke until later. I've even broken rules I didn't know. I don't even know now that I've broken. 
And that's why grace is needed for sinners. Because we have no idea how holy God is and how broken we are. But Jesus has come. The word has come. The lawmaker has come and lived that perfect law for life for us. Lived the law for us perfectly. It's called the active obedience of Christ. And then took our curse for us on the cross. And he has spoken to us. Uh, the eloquence of creation and speaking of God goes to the eloquence of God speaking to us in his word. But even the supreme eloquence of God speaking to us in his son. We need a savior. I need a savior. Uh, and I love what Galatians 3 says. Because Galatians 3 says that the scripture... See, what the law does is it does several things. It shuts us up under the promise. The law says, this is how you live in the Old Testament. You read the law, right? This is, these are the precepts. These are the commands. If you follow, if a non-believer follows the book of Proverbs, he'll probably have a much better life because you're following the way life works, right? But when you start following the law of God as written in the Bible, it shows you how to live. But rapidly, you come to the point where you realize what? I can't do all this. <laughs> the law shows me how to live, the straight and narrow, and I try to live it. And then I realize I can't. And that's what Martin Luther emphasized. He said, see, this is what the law does. Galatians 3 says, it's our tutor that leads us to Christ. The law shows us how to live. And then, and then as Luther says, yeah, but it also shows us that we can't do it. It's so powerful. And then we come back to the reality that we need a Savior every day of our life. And Jesus is that Savior. The Word made flesh. God speaks to us. And He redeems us. And, he lead, and then when Christ comes into your life, then the law is no, not necessary anymore, right? No, Jeremiah 31, 31. The law is on our heart now. And by his grace, we can live it out. Wow. If you have never embraced Christ as your Savior, Lord, why wait? Because God has been speaking to you in creation. He's spoken in the Bible, and he speaks to you preeminently in Christ. Embrace him, because otherwise you're fighting the one you can't win against. Receive Christ and the law of God, which is the grace of God for life, can now be inside of you and flow out of you. The power of God, that's the way we live. I like Francis Schaeffer's book, He Is There and He's Not Silent. He is here and he's not silent. And through his word, he guides us and leads us. Um, God has been honest to us about himself. He's an artist. He's an author. He's our savior. And now we can be honest with him. And as we get to the last few verses of this incredible uh, psalm, what happens is that David sort of gets this revelation given to him, and then he backs up. And, 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 and this response, of verses 12 through 14, shows us our God, the perfecter. I love this. Who can discern his errors? Answer? We can't. Sometimes I see some of my errors, and sometimes those close to me point them out. Often, my grown children, for instance. 
Who can discern his errors? Generally speaking, we can't. Uh, Declare me innocent from hidden faults, David says. Understand that what he's saying here in these verses is an absolute personal response to the grace of God that is given him in creation. David, the shepherd boy who was out under the heavens and knew of God's grandeur. David, who received God's self-revelation in words that he could write down. And then as David understands the grace, as he looked ahead of the coming Messiah, of which he was a forerunner, David says the grace of God is absolutely stunning in how he redeems us. And he's come in Christ. So Lord, I can't discern my errors. Keep me hidden. Keep me innocent from hidden faults. He says, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. A presumptuous sin is a sin of arrogance and entitlement. A presumptuous sin is I deserve health. I deserve money. I deserve notoriety. I deserve my life to go the way I want it to go. A presumptuous sin is a human being looking at God and saying, you have got to work for me. And David says, in light of the grace of God, and we say from the New Testament standpoint, in light of the grace of God in Christ, keep me from hidden sins Keep me from presumptuous sins, Lord, where I would ever come to you and demand of you. Grace is the most humbling of all realities in our life. Then I will be blameless. Then I will be innocent of great transgression, he says. David wanted to be holy, not because he was trying to earn his salvation. He wanted to be holy because he knew how gracious God was. Did you catch that? That's Old Testament gospel. It's New Testament gospel. It's gospel. The urge to be holy and righteous It comes from grace. Grace is the only energizing power, energizing reason to be holy and to be good. That's why David wanted to be good. He wanted the law in his life. And that's why he ends it by saying this. As he wraps up this understanding that God is the great perfecter of his his life, he says, let the words of my mouth and even the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. God was David's redeemer. The coming Messiah has come. He is our redeemer. And because he has done everything necessary to connect us to the Father... As we dwell on his grace and mercy in Christ, we say, continue to work in me, in my life. And this is where the psalm leaves us. God's grace and speaking in creation, in his word and preeminently in Christ, he transforms our life.
When I got back from Maine, I got a text from one of the guys who was sitting there. I love those Mainers. They're incredible guys. The only big sin in their lives are all New England Patriot fans, but uh, they're great guys. I got a text. He said this. He said, I was one of those guys who was checked out, checked out, sitting in the back row. I'm back in now. I'm in. So that's what grace does. When we're checked out, it speaks deeply to our hearts and says, sitting on the back row is not the place to be. It's being checked in. Following Jesus where he takes us. We don't know where he's going to take us. You don't know where he's going to take you tomorrow. But, but we check back in. And we follow the one who speaks eloquently and lovingly to us every day of our life. To God be the glory. Let's pray. Our holy God, we bow before you. And though we don't understand all of life or the chaos that that seems to surround us, we know that, that you are in charge. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for revealing yourself to us in what you've made and what you've spoken through your prophets, but preeminently, Lord Jesus, in you. And now we pray that as we uh, get ready to, to install our, our, our friend, our minister, we thank you that we bow in your presence and that together we serve you. And we pray that you would work in us, check us in, and then help us to live out in this world in which you've called us to be until you come again. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.